Welcome to Globally Speaking, a production by RWS. Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who is engaged in global communications. Our experts talk to various industry thought leaders to dig into the most critical issues impacting language and localization today. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. Now, here is the host for this episode. Hi, everyone. This is Hind Lamrani. I'm the International Search Strategist with RWS. And today we have Eva Matarith, who's the Vice President for Marketing with SEMrush. How are you, Eva? Can you introduce yourself? Hi, I'm great. Thanks, and really happy to be here. So yeah, I'm Eve McRaith. I am VP of Marketing with Semrush, and I'm responsible for reaching, converting, and retaining new customers through digital strategies. 20 years in digital and 10 plus years in localization. I actually started in localization first 20 plus years ago, aging myself. So Eva, let's start with local markets research. What do we need to know? How are those local markets actually searching for products? Because it could be very different to how they're searching in your source language, whether that's English or source language being German. There can't be enough to just localize it. That research piece is really, really important in understanding search intent around keywords and trends and topics. You could have a completely different life cycle and how users reach you how they search for your products. And it could start with the terms they're using to research for your products and how to find them and the intent behind them. Do they want to buy directly? Do they want just to research and understand them better? And also, are they going in and typing it in Google directly? Or are they talking to their phone to ask or whatever device they're using? It could be completely different from one market to the other. And hence, your strategy has to be reflecting that and matching their intent and uh, pleasing your customers, basically. Yeah, absolutely. You've hit on a great point. I mean, I think one of the things is, you know, really looking at that customer journey once you've done your research and understand that. But part of that research is around customer journey and device, as you were saying, Hend, right? What devices do they use? I mean, we live in a mobile first world online now, especially when it comes to Google. And there's a lot of markets that might be just mobile only, right? A lot of, you know, sub-Saharan Africa might be mobile only or, you know, India is driven by mobile first as well or mobile only. But another key part of that for these markets is age of that device. You know, we build in the West for the most recent devices, right? And where we could be losing is when we're targeting emerging markets that they're actually on older versions of those devices, perhaps. So we're building on testing sites and and how we reach our customers aesthetically and our UX and UI, but we might be over-engineering it for some of those markets. Yes, yes. So, you know, again, I think that piece goes into when you're entering a new market and scaling globally, that you take all of this into account and mapping that user journey appropriately with all of those steps. Absolutely. This is really, really important in the journey. And other markets, like, for example, China, they're on their own little bubble there where like (laughs) big bubble (laughs) mobile e-commerce is the thing there. I mean, everyone is buying on their mobiles and, you know, it's really a matter of adapting your strategy to your market. That's the thing. And translation is only the basic right now. Absolutely. 
And I think depending on where the brands are in their experience with translation and localization and trans creation, I think for smaller brands as they enter this and enter new markets, it can be quite a large undertaking. I think for you know the really big global brands that have been doing and always translating and localizing their content, they're a bit more advanced with their processes around this. But I think for smaller brands that might be doing it in two or three languages, they actually have a bit of an advantage <laughs> that they can spend a bit more time to do this correctly and do it right at the beginning because it costs a lot more money to undo something than build it from scratch. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think we've all experienced that with localization, right? Uh, how much rework goes into fixing a problem rather than maybe starting from the beginning and building it correctly. And this is absolutely true for smaller brands. They're really lucky also with regards to other SEO aspects like local SEO. When you have just like three or four offices, you can develop local SEO strategy based on those, on maps, you know, Google My Business and all that. And My it's good too. <laughs> yeah, and it, it could turn into something really interesting. Oh, it is. There's them. a big future in that one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And like big brands do tend to miss out on these aspects of SEO. Absolutely. I think also smaller brands can pivot quickly when it comes to building processes for global content strategies and multilingual content strategies, they could be more agile around those processes. I think one of the biggest challenges that I don't see solved yet, I think bigger brands are becoming a lot more aware of the challenge, but anybody that's been in this industry for a long time and has had SEO as a task or have content marketing campaigns as a task and SEO needs to be part of that, one of the biggest challenges is who owns it, right? Is it the localization team that we're tasked with adding SEO to localization? Is it the marketing team at Central that, you know, developed the campaign and have sent it for localization? So is it the marketing team that owns it, that send it to localization and get it back? A huge part of SEO is technical. Now, whereas most people and primarily the audience that's listening to this, thinks as SEO as just an add-on to language or an add-on to content. But, you know, 30 or 40% of SEO now and success of SEO is actually technical SEO. And when you talk to brands about that, they go, oh, well, I'm tasked with SEO and, you know, we've got KPIs with the localization provider and you need to help us meet them. And you go, well, we want to help you and we absolutely want your SEO localization campaign to succeed. However, we've identified X, Y, and Z on the technical side that is going to hinder not just our campaign, but your site's ability to rank locally. And then there's the data analysis piece as well. And who owns that? Because we need to understand data and how the site is performing and where traffic is coming from. So there's really a lot of pieces that fit together. And I don't think global brands have figured it out when it comes to multilingual. They may very well be good at it again in source language. If that was English, they've got that cycle pulled together, but they haven't figured out who owns full SEO and website ranking and trends and how to achieve it correctly because they're just addressing SEO with content or a campaign and technical. In mind. Yeah, yeah, and they're not thinking about the technical. So I think for this audience as well, the one thing from a technical perspective you have to look at is a tag called hreflang. 
And that is a tag we are all so familiar with because it uses language and market. It's the L10 tags to tell the search engines which part of your site should be targeted to which region and which language. And we have seen some really, really bad <laughs> implementations. Yes, we did. <laughs> yes. I think Hinge, you and me started looking at this probably eight years ago. Yeah. And we're trying to tell people and brands that they needed to implement this correctly. Please fix this first I, and then ask well, all keywords. Yeah. And that's the key piece, right? We're trying to help brands rank in local markets when there's technical blockers in the way or technical challenges that are hindering our efforts. So finding out who owns that and bringing all of those people to the table to make sure that there is no challenges. And the thing with technical SEO is it's code. If it's affecting one part of your site, it's affecting the entire site across probably all of your markets if it's primary architecture or code in there. So another one example of that is speed. It goes yes. back to devices that we were talking yeah. about, right? Speed is one of the top ranking factors with Google. Of course, they don't clarify any of this with us, but we know that it is. Speed dramatically impacts it, how it you're is going absolutely. They've mentioned it and we've suspected it like for years. We knew it was happening. Google never said yes, but recently, yes. Mainly like even the, the image formats and they're recommending next gen image formats that are much lighter. And like you said, when a brand comes in to you asking for SEO optimization from a linguistic and, and content perspective, again, you need to shed light on limitations they have on other sides because that optimization wouldn't be enough and wouldn't be successful if <laughs> the images are huge and the page loads <laughs> and I don't know how many minutes instead of seconds, yeah. instead of milliseconds. Yeah. You can optimize all you want the text. It's not going to work. So yeah. it's all those technical things that need to be taken care of as well. Absolutely. And I think one of the core things, that, and it's quite unusual for Google to confirm any part of their algorithm, but they've been very vocal about a new piece. Well, it's not a new piece, but it's core web vitals. Yeah. And they have been very, very loud about how important this is. So if anybody wants to go talk to their technical team and check, Core Web Vitals report is within the Google Console report, and it consists of three basic metrics, largest contestful paint, first input delay, and cumulative layout shift. And don't worry about what that really means. All you need to do is talk to your technical team and make sure that all three are in the green. <laughs> right? Exactly. All three all have three. to be in green. They have been very vocal that it's really important that brands address and have all three. And this is to do with speed and customer Experience. engagement and UX yeah. on it. And that all comes down to how a user uses your site or your app. But again, this comes back to there's challenges with technical SEO that localization people are not necessarily aware of. And why would they be? That wasn't in their remit or tasks. But I think every localization company now has added SEO as a core pillar of their service. And as far as I know, like all of the big ones offer audits, right? And all of those audits cover technical. <laughs> so you can ask your localization provider to give this back, right? And I know you've been doing this for a long time. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so this is like you said, it's all part of the technical limitations that mostly brands don't necessarily think of as something they need to do as part of an SEO optimization for a different market. Google has been sending emails since last year about them. I've received like zillions of those and now they're reminding website owners about them. And they started showing on Google Search Console the tabs under experience. You can have like a page experience tab, a core web vitals tab and a mobile usability tab. Yeah, and it's yeah. telling you what is the percentage of the URLs on your websites are good. They call them just good URLs. But this is mainly for mobile visibility for now. Again, it's all to do with your industry and your business. If most of your consumers come to you through mobile, you better look into this. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a core part of our platform that we have a site audit. So, you know, you can go in and throw in any website and, you know, you could do this for your own site and you can also do it for your competitors, right? If you're doing that research and want to understand how well they're doing or how quickly you could outrank them because their site isn't actually very well technically optimized, you know, you can get all of that data in our site audit and it'll, it'll tell you so yeah, I think just even if you don't understand any of this, just going in to a platform like SEMrush, putting in your own brand URL and getting back some information on your site health, you could then go and talk to those other teams, as I said, bringing all those teams to the table so that when you are entering the market and you're structuring your content, you're optimizing your content, you don't have any technical hurdles in your way. Another thing I wanted to ask you about today while we have you with us, did you see any specific trends regarding digital strategy during the pandemic, during COVID? We're actually working through a lot of that. I think globally, I mean, everybody went online. We did see, obviously, an uptick on online shopping, right? E-commerce grew specifically, I think, around sports requirements, right? Sportswear, outdoor equipment, all of that. You know, I think everybody's talking about the impact of COVID and Amazon's scale of going up and use, but Amazon is one of the biggest search engines in the world when it comes to products. So, you know, anybody that has products and is looking to sell in markets, absolutely Amazon needs to be part of that research whether or not it's, you know, worth selling, but Amazon obviously sales increased a lot. And obviously, then we saw local, to your point, Hand, on local SEO, right? We saw, and everybody saw globally, a dip on near me searches. Yeah. I was reading a piece recently there the other day with the non-CEO of Google. <laughs> He's not called the CEO, but he owns all the Google products. Um, <laughs> and, you know, he was talking about their bot that dialed up the restaurants and asked the restaurants to give them their information on when they were open or closed due to COVID and Google was updating that information for them. So I think, you know, the near searches, that's dropped out. But as countries open back up, that's coming back up online. And I think people need to be really creative on how they use Google My Business. I've been saying it for years. Oh, so much. <laughs> advocating for it. And now it's like during the pandemic, it just showed that it's totally crucial. Even I mean, if you're a big business, you need to take care of it. For absolutely. So just to like let people understand what Google My Business is, it is a product that appears on the right-hand side of Google search results when you ask for a local query. So coffee shop near me, restaurant near me, but it also applies to B2B. So it is a hyper-local search, but if you have a bricks and mortar store or you have an office, you should 
absolutely claim the Google My Business page. There is opportunities in there to put up promotions. Promotion doesn't have to be like a restaurant promotion where I say, right, I, you know, here we can have coffee and a muffin today for five, right? Just to give you an example, how little people are using this. I built a Google My Business page in January for myself, and I was ranking within five weeks for digital marketing consultant in Dublin, Ireland. And I ranked in the top position for that. And I basically took over <laughs> the home page on mobile. That shows how in five weeks. Fantastic <laughs> results. Yeah. And it's just businesses are not leveraging it correctly. And I went in and I updated it every week with a new promotion. And a promotion could be anything, guys. If you're doing your sales calls for free, that can be your promotion. You just need to word it. <laughs> but yeah, now you do need a physical presence. That is very important. You cannot just take a virtual Google My Business. It is for physical businesses. But it's, anybody it's tied to maps. To anyway, it's tied to Google it's Maps anyways. Yeah. yeah. And that's the whole point. It's a type yeah. of local. So yeah, there is some very low hanging fruit out there for anybody that wants to go after that for sure. The other thing I thought it would be a good discussion topic while we have you with us, Aoife, is this new MUM, the Multitask Unified Model. They're saying it's very different from BERT and it's actually like a thousand times stronger than BERT, better than BERT. So what is your take on this? Yeah, really interesting question. I think BERT was a game changer for anybody that's not in the localization industry. <laughs> Right. I mean, BERT, it's natural language processing plus machine learning equals AI. Right? I yeah. think also the localization industry were like, yeah, machine translation, language processing. Yeah, we, we get that. We understand what it is. I think BERT was around matching semantic intent, which was a bit of a game changer for Google. This is next level BERT. It's like, remember with BERT, they rolled it first with English and then they added a few languages. Then I think, I think after a few months, we've seen other languages being wrapped up in there. Now they trained the machines on 75 languages simultaneously. And it wow. can understand information in the form of, it could be anything, images, text, videos. See, like the, the example they gave, you scan a picture of your hiking boots. And then you ask your assistant, are these good enough to hike in the Himalayas or something? You give a name of a specific mountain. The machine would go and pick up all the information about that brand of the hiking boots and the information of the mountains you ask information about, about anything like height, humidity, whatever, all the, the things hikers look into before they go. And then it tells you, it gives you the answer whether this is suitable or not, and it will give you why. This is like next-gen right. like births. I don't know. <laughs> it looks fantastic, and I hope it's, it really works that way because, again, they always, in their demos, they show something that looks so futuristic, but most of the time it takes a few months to get there really in the real life. Yeah, because they're going to need real life. There's only so many use cases they can build. <laughs> you know, they need users to actually go use it to get that information. Yeah, the challenge of search generally, I'm not sure will ever be solved because there's like a billion variations that can happen. But with that, they're really trying to go past just search intent and truly understand what you want to know with as little information as possible. <laughs> 
right? As you say, right? Take a picture of your hiking boots and say, you know, are these good for the Himalayas? <laughs> it so wants this- to know exactly what you, you know, the bigger picture of what you're trying to understand or what your goals are. This is definitely in line what Google has been doing all these years is making everything user-centric. It's all for the comfort of the user. So it's making it really easy for the user. However, you as a brand selling hiking boots or hiking shoes, depending if you live in the UK or or in America. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) We don't hike, we just go for a walk. (laughs) Exactly. So... This, it means that you as a brand, you need to give as much information as possible on those boots when you're providing the description of your products on whatever platform you're talking about it. Because the machine needs to get the information from somewhere. And you know, like the idea if you as a website owner, as a product owner, as a service owner, give as much possible information, details, anything about your products, services, on multiple types of Google services or universal search. It could be image, could be video, could be text. It actually goes and collects all that information, plays with it, with AI algorithms, and then gets the user what they're looking for based on that. So if you're a brand selling those hiking shoes and you give little information about the hiking shoes, another brand that did all the work and provided all that information would be the one being suggested to the user by the machine, basically. Yeah, no, absolutely. You know, I suppose Google has the biggest data set ever collected, right? I mean, over the last 15, 20 years of people searching, they have so much data to feed into the machine to train the AI to learn. But yeah, to your point, brands really need to think broader, right? How do you touch the customers in every point of their journey, but also how do you touch them with potential queries that we haven't really thought of yet? right? How is that hiking boot? What scenarios across everything that you can brainstorm and think of, would they be used or would would people want to find them? You know, and also across all of your content types, right? Whether image is a huge one, we've been talking about it for years. We still see such bad mistakes when it comes to image optimization or lack thereof. Also, something we haven't touched on here that kind of goes back to that technical SEO, like how do you get structured data on the back Mm -hmm. to make sure that it matches to your image optimization to get, you know, the featured snippet or the voice search that's basically driven out of a featured snippet result, right? So I think, you know, with MUM and this new platform on the next level of BERT, that's taking all of that together and really, truly trying to understand the purpose of what somebody is looking for and the other things that they haven't asked for yet. Right? So it's, it's predictive modeling. I'm like, well, if you look for the hiking boots here and you're talking about hiking the Himalayas, therefore you're going to need this other list of stuff. You're going yes. to need flights and hotel yeah. recommendations yes. and restaurants and what happens if you're allergic to something. And, you know, then you might want cultural pieces to go to. So it's connecting all of those dots together for forecasting of what your intent is. If you're going there, you're going to need everything else that's associated with it because it knows where you're coming from. <laughs> it knows that I'm in Ireland or that you're in the US when you're searching for the Himalayas or Fiji or Kilimanjaro. <laughs> right? Yeah. And it could serve you the brands that did their homework and yeah. provided as much information as possible about their products. And obviously, they will show you also the ones near you as well. 
Yeah, <laughs> yeah absolutely. <laughs> exactly. Right. Here's the hiking shop, the nearest store that sells boots to you, right? Exactly. That's absolutely what the hyper local is about. For sure. But I think this all goes back to brands really understanding what are all of the elements that you need to do to when you look to optimize for search, whether it's Google or Bing or Naver. They all have slightly different ways of doing it. But, you know, we talked about technical SEO. You've got to get in and do an audit to understand where you stand for that. We talked about structured data, right? How do you Mm -hmm. get the right structured data on the back and structured data has to be localized. <laughs> you can't create structured data in English and hope it works in Germany. Oh, my God. Did you see structured data in English in every single market before? Well, yes. At a very high level, if they had any, they might have used just company information. And they haven't localized it. It's still in English. And they're still using their HQ office address, even though they have a Berlin office. Yeah. So like making sure that you look at all of these elements and to your point, right, when brands are looking, when we're looking about the future of search and how Google is going to move into this MUM, they've already told us in the past what we need to do, fix our technical, get our structured data, make sure it's local language, make sure we optimize for it. They've told us what to do and they're always telling us what to do because they're five steps ahead of what we know they're doing. Right? They know what their roadmap is. So they generally tell us what to do for what's now, but also for what's coming. <laughs> if we you know, read it right. So structured data, absolutely critical, I think, for like an MUM piece as well. Aoife, do you have anything else in mind that you feel we should mention today during this session? Did we leave out anything that's really crucial to multilingual digital strategy? Yeah, I think there's one piece that we should talk about with regards to local and, you know, it's part of the research piece, but also part of always ongoing campaigns. And that is actually understanding where are you going to drive PR in that local market and where are you going to get backlinks from? You know, one of the pieces that you need to do around research is understanding that lay of the land and who your actual competitors are in that market, as we discussed. But also, as you plan marketing campaigns and PR campaigns to drive traffic to your site, you need to be able to target the right sites to drive a backlinks. The amount of backlinks is one thing, but actually the quality of the backlink is really important. So a backlink is when somebody else puts a link on their site that drives back to your site. And understanding where you can target and drive backlinks for in each market requires its own backlink strategy because, as we said, the new sites are different in every market and the other sites that might drive a PR link for you will be different. So doing a backlink audit, if you exist in that market and understanding how many backlinks you have, what quality they are, toxic backlinks can be a challenge. So make sure you find those, remove them, and then actually build a PR campaign around a very targeted list of sites that you want to target for backlinks. So we actually have a full suite of backlinks within SEMrush that lets you do all of this. But as you go into markets, if you're going to create a campaign, like any good marketing campaign, you're going to know who you're targeting, your audiences, your segmentation, but also what media outlets that you're going after and understanding where you're going to get those backlinks from. It is crucial, Aoife. And I've seen in the past, for example, in one specific market I looked into, 
this specific client, they didn't have a French website. They had only English, but they're, they're a known brand and people are searching for their product. What a local competitor did, they went in and in their title, the title of, of their homepage, they put the name of this big brand and they said, I'm going to replace the name of the big brand with three X's, similar to three X's and in French. <laughs> right. <laughs> they put that in their title and there were other comparison websites. Uh, France is very known for comparison websites. People tend to compare a lot before they buy something, even software. Comparison websites was ranking this brand pretty highly. And the only thing that was missing, and they said, unfortunately, is not available in French. You know, without going in and doing that research locally, we'd never know that these things are happening. And, you know, right. they give you things to do and to work on. It's like, yes, the people love your software, but hey, these people don't want to be dealing in English. They want you to have a French website for them. And the competition is basically using that against you. And also the comparison website, that piece, like you mentioned, the linking, you could reach out to that comparison website and correct it and say, hey, now we have a French website, for example, please link to this. It's a whole strategy around this. Yeah. And it has to be done on a local market level or on a per market level because English backlinks to a Spanish site don't work, right? You need yes. Spanish backlinks to a Spanish version of your site. Google, it's kind of never really been answered because it hasn't been dug into too much. But like, I think anybody that's worked in localization and SEO knows this, right? The value of the site, the link equity, Google said does pass. It might pass to the parent site, but it doesn't pass to the local site, which is what you're trying to optimize for. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think absolutely understanding where you're going to drive backlinks, relevant backlinks to your site, because you have to have local backlinks. It's a key ranking factor. If you want to rank locally, you need local links to the products you're focusing on. And all the other things we mentioned yeah, it needs to be obviously translated. It needs to be optimized. The speed of the image, is it loading quickly or not? Uh, are the images too big? Are there any hindrances? Is the hreflang tag working properly to target that specific market? We did mention also the user experience and the user intent. Are they reaching you through a mobile, through big browser, through more iPhones than Androids? We don't know. <laughs> it depends on the market. You need, you need to do your research and see if it's mobile friendly, if it's working properly for them, you know, and also keep up with all the latest from Google or all the changes that are happening all the time to, you know, keep up with best practice to, to stay on the safe side. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's a lot, right? That's a lot for brands to do, which I think, you know, there's always two ways to do it is either build it or buy it. Right. And I think Having like Hind working one of the top localization companies, like go talk to Hind, right? <laughs> because you really, you need an expert that understands all of this and you need a partner that's going to do a lot of this for you and bring that information back to you. So, you know, ask, ask for the audit, get those insights, um, even for markets that you're already in. If you're not seeing the results in Spain for your Spanish content that you were expecting, like, you know, go and have a digital audit done on your content to understand why it's not working. 
one of the key things I always said to clients in the localization industry is like, but you spent how much on localization, but you're not going to optimize it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. You, you, you know, you're spending big budgets to localize web content for your website or digital campaigns, but you're not willing to spend the extra money on SEO. So it will work a long time in that market. So really you're going to struggle to get an ROI on that spend if you don't add the extra requirement of SEO. And they, you know, they say, well, we did SEO in our core market. Can't we just do the same, you know, leverage it for other markets? But it actually doesn't work that way. So if you really, truly want ROI on localized content for, for global campaigns or for your website, you have to add SEO. It will pay massive dividends long run. Thank you very much, Aoife. This has been really a fun chat with you. Yeah, thank you so much, Hans. It was just a lot of fun. Always good to chat with you. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, an RWS production. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, or Podbean. Check out other episodes on globallyspeakingradio.com, where you can also find transcripts from every show. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So don't hesitate to reach out to us by contacting us at info at globallyspeakingradio.com. <laughs>